0: This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, Draw the sorrows, Grown, your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the drooping and solitary, and closer are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah side, the book Fireside, the Marrow Fireside. Kings and queens, fat and heroes, don't you run from the fun? there's no need to hide. Sit by the Fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 197 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast we have a legend of a Kerry King and how he helped a young man out with his rent. This is the story of Rent Day don't be alarmed. But before we get on to that, if it's your first episode and you enjoy it, listen to this and then think about why not heading back all the way back to episode one, nearly four years ago. There is nearly 200 episodes of Fireside for you to listen to on our journey through Irish folklore and mythology, our sidesteps into legend and cultures and mythologies from other parts, uh, everything in between. There's something for everyone there if you enjoy. And if you're a returning listener, whether it's been for a few weeks or a few months or even a few years, thank you so much for your continued support. All the ways you can usually support the podcast, you can f- follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. You can share the podcast on your story. You can share it with your friends, anyone you think would like it. That is still, still to this day, the best way for the podcast to grow. And I appreciate every... Every message I get, I try get, to get back to every single one of them. I love hearing from you all, and where in the world you're from, and your thoughts on all the episodes, and sending me on your own stories and all. Please keep doing that. I love reading each and every one of them. Um, you can also, if you're not on in social media, you can email me at the Fireside Bard if you've any inquiries, by their business or personal. Um, my personal favorite way you could support is at the point is that you could buy my book, uh, Garden scene, My neomyth of Home. Uh, which was launched officially a few weeks ago. Uh, you can get that in paperback from headstuff.org or from Kindle version on Amazon. All the links are in the description below. Uh, that is my current favourite thing in the world, is to package these books up and send them all around the world, whether it's over to another county in Ireland or to the other side of the planet, uh, which I've done both of uh, quite recently, which is brilliant. Um, I adore sharing it so much. Um, it's It's been an immense... The personal journey and the most satisfying thing I've ever done so far has been the publication of Garden Sea. And Garden Sea wouldn't have existed without Fireside, and Fireside wouldn't continue to exist without all of you. So thank you so much. The final way is, of course, to do. You can join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com for as little as €5 euro a month, or they can pay more if you want. You can gain access to bonus material for Fireside and all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hard sells out of the way. Uh, I'm recording this episode, same session as uh, last week's episode, in uh, the Nicebrook Hotel in Trim, we're still in rehearsals here, we fly to New Zealand, uh, we will be in New Zealand by the time this episode comes out, just wanted to, I'll record a couple of episodes while I'm out there, um, while we lead up to Christmas, but wanted to try and get ahead of myself as I could, especially since the first couple of weeks of tour are usually the most hectic as you can be rehearsing during the day while you're doing shows at night and Long hours of travel, and I've never been to New Zealand before and all, so we don't know what it's what it's going to be like there in terms of the tour, but I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Very excited for it. The show's in great shape. We've got a fantastic cast um, uh, who I'm very happy to be working with. Um, and the story for this week was a very... I got some things out with, the, with this tale. Naturally, as uh, anyone who has lived in Ireland, in particular Dublin, over the last 10 years as I did for eight of the last ten, essentially, and um, has had experience with with rent. Anyone who's had any bad experience with a landlord or, or with with rent in general, but it's been a particularly bad place in, in Dublin uh, with a drastic, drastic housing crisis and rental crisis that still goes on and still goes largely untreated or unaided. Um, and this horrifying thing about... Uh, adapting stories about rent from the mid 19th century is seeing how relevant they still are which they really shouldn't be Um, and parts of reading this was like it could have been written in the Irish Times today so I had a lot of fun with this one I got out a lot of stuff um, and it was a really interesting tale as well because while I'm adapting mostly folklore at the moment instead of alternating between folklore and mythology I still wanted to try and find some tales that have that feel like the myths do. They have a slightly grander scale when the folklore has the more domestic scale. And I love them both in equal measure, but I like the balance between the two. And I found this tale, there's a section in the beautiful fairy and Folk Tales of Ireland, edited by WB Eights, and, um, on Tiernanog and on like the land of youth and so naturally that was a place to go for something a bit more godly and this was an aspect of Tiernanog that uh, I didn't really know about um, it's not really tiernanogue esque but it's still categorized kind of tiernanog and you will see soon see why and it's a, it's a cool cool story with nice, nice characters in it I won't give any more away now as I'm explaining it very poorly anyway in an effort to not give any detail away So, enough waffle, we will chat more afterwards. This is Rent Day on Fireside. Rent Day. There was once a king called O'Donoghue who lived and reigned by a lake in Killarney, County Kerry. O'Donoghue was generous to all guests who visited giving away every bed in his castle and hosting bountiful feasts that went through the night. But the king was also more than capable of defending his subjects and lands. He was fearless in battle, riding out front on his wave-like white steed, and this sense of justice extended to his own household. There was a desolate rock out on Killarney Lake that was known as O'Donoghue's Prison, where it was said the king had exiled his own son for disorder and disobedience. The end of O'Donoghue, as you couldn't really call it his death, was very mysterious. During one of his great feasts, the king arose and gave a speech. He began to tell the future, the future of his house, his castle, and every one of his guests. The king's auditors, creditors, and tax collectors all listened with an explosion of emotion. One moment they were wrapped in wonder, the next they were fired with indignation. They burned with shame and melted with sorrow as O'Donoghue detailed the heroics, injuries and crimes of their descendants. When the king had finished his prophetic oration, he walked from the banquet table, out the castle gates and walked into the lake. He walked further and further out with his head still tall and proud above the surface of the water. His guests and guards had followed O'Donoghue from the feast and marvelled as the king reached the centre of the lake and disappeared from view. It has been many, many years since the mysterious vanishing of King O'Donoghue, but every Mayday, the anniversary of his disappearance, it is said that O'Donoghue rises from the lake in full battle regalia on his foam-white steed, attended by his retinue of guards, and proudly continues his judicious rule of Killarney. One particular first of May, a young man named Bill Doody sat by the lake of Killarney and made a lamentation to no one in particular. Oh, what in the world am I to do? Tomorrow is rent day, and I haven't a shillin' to my name. "'and Tim the driver, my degenerate landlord, "'would throw me and Judy out of the house, "'and the children. "'Oh, I wish i had never lived to see this day, "'to be responsible for the destitution of my own family. "'The beauty of this lake mocks me, "'for what good can a peaceful scene offer "'when your own heart is at war?' "'But poor Bill Doody was not as alone "'as he thought by the vast lake. "'It was a place he frequently went for solitude, Because you could see the water and fields in every direction No one could sneak up on you when you sat by the lake So a man could go and lament all the sorrows of the world Nevertheless, as the restless, relentless soul Sat with his head in his hands He did not notice the approach and appearance Of a stranger What is the matter, my poor fellow? Bill shot his head up surprised to see anyone, much less a tall and portly man in a majestic breastplate and tall hat with proud plumage. This was to say nothing of the tall, white horse on which the stranger was mounted. Bill Doody blinked. How he had not heard the horse's hooves he did not know. He was immediately unsure if this man or his steed were of this world. But the stern but warm face of the stranger gave Bill his courage and voice a lot is the matter with me the crop has failed I've been conned out of my butter and now Tim the driver has said that he will evict my entire family if I do not pay the rent in full by tomorrow morning I'm sorry to hear that but surely if you tell your landlord what you have just told me he would find it in his heart to let you stay For that, a landlord would have to have a heart, said Bill Doody. You obviously aren't from around here. You don't know Tim the driver. He's had his eyes on my family farm since I took it over from my father. We've never had much, but we've always got by. And I've never asked for more than the roof over our children's heads and to live in our beloved Killarney. From the height of his saddle, the armored apparent reached to his belt and removed a cloth satchel. He held it out and emptied the contents directly into the hat resting on Bill Doody's lap. From the weight and sound of the mounting coins, Bill Doody was in no doubt this was real gold, guineas, an entire mortgage's worth. "'Take this,' the mounted man said, "'and use it to pay your rent. But fear not.' I will see to it that this gold brings your landlord no joy. I am sorry this has happened to you, and your family. In my day, this Tim the Driver would have been hanged." But Bill Doody could not hear a thing for the clanking coins. He was fixated on the sight of the glistening gold, drooling with disbelief, his mind an asteroid echoing across a cosmos of new opportunities. By the time Bill Doody had recovered his senses and realised once more where he was, he looked up, not even knowing how to begin to thank the generous rider. But the benefactor and his buckaroo were gone. Bill looked across the lake and across every field in every direction, but there was not a sign of anything or anyone. Donahue! Bill Doody cried out loud. I just met O'Donohoo. More than that... I received O'Donoghue's blessing. Barely able to carry the coins in his patchy hat, but careful not to let a single piece spill out, Bill ran back home to his wife. Judy Doody did not believe what her husband said had happened was possible, but there was the gold in Bill's hat, as real, heavy, and glittering as only gold can be. And yes, Bill's wife's name was Judy Doody. The next day, a smartly dressed Bill marched proudly to the large home of his landlord, Tim the Driver. The landlord looked up from his desk. I did not expect to see you here today, Bill. I thought I would have to smash in your door. And since that door will very soon be mine, I would rather it intact. But you clearly don't realize my position if you stand before me and do not remove your hat." Bill stood firm, with hat remaining on head. I know I am not in the presence of a king, for I now know the presence of a king. And other than that, I only remove my hat for those I love or respect, and the eye that sees all knows that there is no way to love or respect a landlord. Tim the driver leapt to his feet. You insolent pup! I'll teach you to talk like that to me, you scoundrel. Don't forget it's me who holds the power and not you, you... you... you peasant! You're right. You do hold the power. Much to the shame and ruin of my country. It is your lot that has made our beloved land inhospitable, untenable, and bleak. Your greed has robbed us of our hundred thousand welcomes. "'Have you the rent or not?' asked him the driver, seeking to drive this serf from his presence. "'If you're even a penny short, I'll put you out on the barren roads where you and your kind belong.' Bill Doody proudly poured his satchel of gold onto the landlord's desk. "'Be sure to count it all. I've no doubt that you will.' And do me a favor there, and give me a receipt. The incredulous landlord counted each shekel, and when all was accounted for, he wrote and signed a receipt of payment. Bill Doody received the notice, and politely left Tim the driver's home, with his hat still proudly on his head. The landlord watched Bill go, unsure really what had just happened when he turned back to his desk to look at his gold. Horror smacked his face and his stomach shriveled as he saw that every coin of gold had turned to gingerbread. It cannot be, said the landlord. I counted these myself. They were unmistakably the weight and feel of guineas. But now all that remained were biscuits with icy designs of gold upon them. And worst of all for Tim the driver, he had given Bill Doody a receipt. There was nothing more that he could do. Even though he had given away all of his gold, Bill Doody became a very rich man from that day on. His crop never failed again. He was savvy to conmen, and his children grew to inherit the land, the farm, and remain in their beloved kerry. Another day went by where Bill Doody did not give thanks to the blessing he received from O'Donoghue, the eternal great king of Killarney Lake. The end. Come on, sissy that pod. Let's get sickening are you a fan of the emmy award-winning show rupaul's drag race do you think about roxy andrews at the bus stop and do you belong in party city well this is pod, it's a podcast for you join me james and my co-host Keen. is there something on my face as we chat weekly about the runway realness sickening shade and backstage buffoonery that's right whether it's new episodes of drag race us uk or all stars Sissy.pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to sissy.pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network, and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now let the music play And that is the tale of rent Day on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. This was yeah, this was a lot of fun for a couple of reasons. So this is actually as you might have been able to tell. It's almost like there's two, So the mic fell off the table there, as you remember there's two kind of different stories at play here. There is the legend of O'Donoghue and then the story of Bill Doody and these were actually two separate tales as it were in in the book in Fairy and Folk Tales of Iron that I adapted from. The first is The, is the Legend of O'Donoghue itself. And so I read The Legend of O'Donoghue and really liked it. But there wasn't really a story there because it, it ends with him going into the lake and the rumours that he has seen. So it was only like two pages of just kind of backstory back of O'Donoghue and there wasn't really a tale there, so to speak. And so then I kept reading um, a couple more tales. And the next tale was this tale called Rent Day, and was seemed totally unrelated until of course this stranger on a white horse reveals himself or doesn't reveal himself or the uh the character bill duty after he's gone realizes who it must have been and it was only then that i realized that the two stories were connected that the legend of dunahu set up rent day and so they could only exist together and luckily they were both quite short even with the two of them together this episode or this story was a bit shorter certainly Um, Shorter than the giant stairs last week, for example. But so that was a really exciting way to come about it and to get to set up with this mythic legend at the beginning and then to go to a very traditional folk tale. It kind of felt like the best of both worlds. You had like the mythology and the folklore in one story and how the mythology informs the folklore. Um, so, I loved setting up O'Donohue and then getting to meet this Bill Doody sat by the lake in Killarney, who's just having trouble with his rent. And I'm sure you can see the couple of times. And to be fair, um, I do this, I tend to do this a bit with uh, particularly T. Croft and Croker adaptations, um, where sometimes there's just. Because I write these from scratch, you know, I read this story a couple of times, depending on how, depending on how much detail there is in the story or the type of story it is, sometimes I'll have to have the book beside me. My ideal is that I read a story twice and then write my own version. I love when a story makes that much of an impression and the blocks are there, the bones are there and then I can just have fun and then I can really be creative with it and if I have something I want to put in or take out that that just kind of comes kind of naturally. If I have to be looking back and forth between the book as I'm adapting it feels less like an adaptation and feels a bit slower or it's it's a bit more laborious. Um, the only cases are if there's a spelling of something or a particular detail, you know, um, that I do want to get right. But I tend not to lift phrases entirely because I like forming my own sentences and telling this is my own story. That's that's one of the things I'm interested most in is just is the writing of it. And that's, I think, the reason I've still done so many episodes of Fireside, is that the quantity has always been a thing I've really liked. Just the more of these stories, to be able to say that I'd written and just to be constantly writing every week, there's no doubt that if I hadn't gotten into this habit of writing a script for this every week, I wouldn't have been able to write a book and now be writing another one. Um, so, when writing this story of I Don't Know Who, it was a case where I listened, read it a couple of times and read Rent Day a couple of times and was able to just go off. But particularly because it was about rent, I was able to channel some of these things. But some of these lines were actually essentially direct lifts from, um, or slightly edited for my purposes, Lips from Teacroft and Croker. So I do want to pay homage or pay a credit where credit was due. It was this one sentence in particular, I guess that, uh, that I edited slightly, it's like, and the eye that sees all knows that there's no way to love or respect a landlord. I have kind of made that a bit more specific to landlords at the beginning, but the, the eye that sees all knows, I really liked that as a phrase. And thought ultimately like, because I would always like to do my own versions entirely of these stories and don't like when I lift directly because I just don't really do that and th- that's not as much fun. But then if there's no better way of me saying it and particularly if it's a really unusual phrase like that, I don't see the shame or I think it would be worse to not, to not homage, to not homage- and not throw in the couple of lines from it. Um, but yeah, wanted to give a note on that line particularly. So we have this Tim, the driver, this landlord, and we get th- what's cathartic about this tale for, especially for anyone who's ever had a bad landlord, um, is that Bill gets to say all the things that no one ever gets to say to their landlord, um, because he has this gold with him and he's able to pay it off, and he's able to tell this man that this man's greed has destroyed his country, and he, it, it the, I did mean those things when I was saying that this that Ireland's whole thing is its welcome. It's Cade a 100,000 welcomes. Sorry, that's, I don't know what I'm there. It's 100,000 welcomes, and the idea of greed and the idea of a place being inhospitable to other people or to the people living there kind of does take the heart out of the 100,000 welcomes a bit, and it really highlighted what was already a really fairly dire situation in the country. and I don't like I don't like making the podcast like political or anything, you know. This is this is very much this is uh this is storytelling, you know, and that's uh, I never have an agenda or anything. That's not how I certainly not how I work as a creative yet. Um but this very naturally formed this this way of thinking. It made it very personal and it made it really enjoyable and fun as well to to write and to get to do this imagining of all the things you would love to say to your landlord if you had a bad one. Uh, and Bill Doody gets to do this, and he gets to give him all his gold. And then when he leaves, the gold becomes gingerbread, which is wonderful. It, be, it becoming... It usually, like, fairy gold usually becomes, like, dead leaves or twigs or something, you know. But it's something about it being gingerbread. And gingerbread, that detail was in the story as well, in the adaptation, was... That the gingerbread was like had the icing to look like gold guineas, so it still looked like coins, as if he had been tricked the whole time. But he knew that he had felt the weight of it, um, and I love as well as often happens with these tales as well that the the blessing of O'Donoghue continued, and there's a, there's a fierce sense of place and pride and having the the lake makes it very focused as well, because like Irish folk tales are. Certainly I found more unique than, I guess, when I'd be reading or even the odd time I've adapted folklore from other cultures, you're nearly often always getting a translation or, a, you know, a several translations. But there's, take the Grimm's, like take Germanic folklore as they are the the kind of godfathers of it all, uh, with the Brothers Grimm, Kinder und Hausmachen tales, they are very Germanic and set in Germany, very much so um but there is such a universality to them that is the reason why why everyone in the Western world knows Little Red Riding Hood and Cinderella and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and all of these um european folk folk tales, and so Irish folk tales tend to not be that, they tend to be a lot more specifically rooted in a very specific place and very specific village and road and there's a really colloquial nature to them and I like that, but where I can I do like to almost take one step back from it. I did that good bit with the giant stairs, the giant stairs was much more rooted in a specific place, but it's it felt like it had such that universality that I felt I can just give the details of this and then it can be anywhere. And that's the idea, like, you want to find that balance, like James Joyce said, in the particular is found the universal. So you want a, a place to be rooted, and in. in your mind, when you're listening to it, or me as I'm writing it, I want to create that sense that this is a real place because these are about non-real things or otherworldly things. I want whatever there is. That's why you can accept a story about a legendary king who essentially drowned himself and then came and gave gold to a man to pay his rent, you can accept all that because he's paying his rent. And that's something that nearly all of us have done. And that's where the, again, where the balance is. You like to feel like this is, you can touch this. You want to feel like you can smell that gingerbread, that you could feel the weight of that gold. Oh God, that's just obviously I'm holding the mic. Sorry about those pups. Um, and yeah, that's just, that the, the rent aspect gave this story that potency. Uh, that made us that made it fun and made it really engaging at least for me and I hope you all felt that as well and yes hopefully we have not seen the last of o'donohue I will wrap things up now um it is it is time for my bed <laughs> um that's two I've recorded just there the um next week we will have another tale from the same same book um as I said I'm trying to incorporate stories that we may not have done types of in a while or before, and I found a great one for next week as well, Um, that was originally, in the book it's called Flory Cantillon's Funeral, but uh, my nickname, or my name for it, is The Grave Beneath the Wave, which I quite like the name of. which is a Merrow tale. We haven't had a tale about the mermaids of Ireland in a long, long time, not since the first couple of months of the podcast, so it's over overdue to go back to Merrowville. So that'll be next week. So follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com, buy my book, my poetry book, Garden Sea at headstuff.org or in Kindle version on Amazon, Um, support the podcast at Headstuff Plus on headstuffpodcast.com, All of the links are in the description below. I will see you all, you'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are, and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.